This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. I am Ryan Pitkin, your host, and we have a special guest today with us, uh, William Coach Mac McNeely. What's going on, man? How, how are you doing today? Doing great, doing great. I'm glad to be on uh, today and uh, looking forward to a great conversation. Absolutely. So sort of where this came from is very similar to our last episode with uh, Lorenzo Steele in that one of our uh, contributing writers had pitched a story, mm-hmm. uh, spoke with you, wrote a story about the work you're doing at Do Greater Charlotte. We should mention that. CEO, founder of Do Greater Charlotte. Um, recently launched, I would say recently, launched yeah. the Creative Labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that, last October? November? Last November we November. Uh, had a grand opening, yes. Uh, so we're going to get in-depth about what the Creative Lab is. But um, I was familiar with your work. Lorenzo had come in. I had not heard of him until we had published a story about him. But I was somewhat familiar with your work. My girlfriend, Christine, who we've actually had on the podcast uh came to the grand opening in November mm-hmm. and was telling me all about it. It was rave reviews. But I wasn't su- super uh, familiar until Liz Bertrand just published this story. And, you know, I'm going through – it's not just me reading a story when Queen City <laughs> Nerve publishes it. I'm also going this deep hole into a rabbit hole as I can and fact-checking, making sure there's no inconsistencies and stuff. So, like, just like with the Lorenzo story, as I'm going through that process, it's just like, man, this guy is super inspiring. Like, <laughs> I need to get him in here. I need to hear his story. Like – um, as great of a job as Liz did, there's only so much room in an article to really get someone's vibe and, yeah. and really uh, get their get their story. So I just I just wanted to get you in here and, and sort of describe your experience with Do Greater, the Creative Lab. Uh, as as folks who have read the article yet or not, I'll link it into our into our piece when we put the podcast out. But you also had a very life or death experience leading into the yeah. the launch of Creative Lab. So I just sort of wanted to get Get this. Get the full story from you, from you in person. Uh, let people hear your voice and and share what you've what you've learned in the process. Um, and I guess we'll start with before we go all the way back to your childhood in West Charlotte. I want to sort of get into your own elevator pitch for what Do Greater is, um, why you launched it. Yeah, uh, great, great story. I love to uh, talk about uh, the opportunity for us to start this organization because I think it's so uh, much needed on the west side of Charlotte. So, you know, Do Greater Charlotte started uh, uh, several years back, probably three or four years ago, with this idea of exposing kids to technology, uh, specifically from a creative and design perspective in under-resourced communities. And so we literally saw this opportunity for us to uh, to look at some of the challenges that were happening on the west side of Charlotte and to approach it from a different perspective. And that is all about this idea around creativity and creative confidence, as we call it. It's this whole idea that uh, kids understand that their ideas matter and we need to get those ideas out in the world. And so when we started to look at that, we started to kind of figure out, okay, how can we do that? How can we, we create an environment that uh, literally uh, encompasses uh, this opportunity for our kids in, you know, a literal truck mm-hmm. uh, as we started? And so we really wanted to put together this uh, this idea of, uh, of creativity and tools and technology and taking it into neighborhoods for our kids. And so back in 2019, uh, we came up with this idea to build this mobile technology lab. I mean, really, it was this out of the blue type of, you know, what would it look like for us to put 15 iPads in the back of a, of a truck uh, 
with wireless broadband and take it directly into communities and start, it, and start teaching these entrepreneurial mindset uh, classes, these creative classes around uh, not only enhancing your creativity, but understanding your purpose, your why. Uh, a lot of things that adults deal with every single day. We right. wanted to make sure our kids started dealing with that early within the middle school environment. And so Do Greater was was literally founded to do that, uh, to expose kids to technology uh, through the lens of sports, fashion, media, the things that they love, mm-hmm. uh, and to really start to focus on this whole critical thinking and problem-solving skill set that we can train our kids uh, to be to be more successful at. So right. uh, that's literally Do Greater Charlotte and what we do today. Right. Just in a little different way. And that mobile lab is what sort of grow, grew into the idea for the actual physical brick-and-mortar space yeah, for the creative lab. It did. It did. I found that interesting in Liz's article, at least how it was uh, portrayed in that, is how you read so many pieces about uh, COVID having shut down so many brick-and-mortar spaces. Mm-hmm. And people are like, we got to hit the road with this. Yeah. You almost <laughs> did the opposite, where you were on the road with the, cre- with the mobile lab during COVID. And uh, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to say we need to we need some place a, a spot. No, it was you know going to COVID. I think it really made everybody rethink their model. Mm-hmm. And for us, our model was 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 built on this uh, opportunity to to, hi- to be hyper local inside communities with this mobile truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as we were putting fifteen kids in the back of a truck uh, and then partnering with the Charlotte Mecklenburg school systems in twenty twenty when things start to shut down in March. School system shut down. Everything closed, so our our access to our kids were cut off. Plus, you know, you can't put 15 kids in the back of a truck when you are in right. the midst of a pandemic. So mm-hmm. that was the first thing to stop. But what we what, but what we learned was uh, in that process, I think we activated for like three or four months before we had to shut it down. But what we what we learned were some of the challenges and some of the needs in the, our communities as we were literally taking the truck out. And oh, so awesome. what yeah. so what kind of started to bubble up was this whole idea around, hey, our kids don't have the tools and technology that they need to access to 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 move forward with some of these creative endeavors that we were presenting them. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether that was, you know, kids uh, uh, getting access to technology around the digital divide mm-hmm. that was there. Uh, but when we started to talk about these creative technologies and next steps and AR and VR and graphic design and all and architecture and all these types of uh, uh, uh Con, all these types of content, they didn't have the tools to do that. Right. So we said, okay, how can we create this environment now that had this these advanced technology tools? And secondly, when you start to look at that, well, we're like, where are we going to put them? Right. Uh, and, sec- and then we started to look at, okay, COVID kind of uncovered this whole idea around kids going home and having to learn at home, but their creative environments wasn't conducive for learning. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the west side of Charlotte, like I grew up with three, uh, you know, two older brothers and a younger sister, and we all in one room, mm-hmm. you don't have the space from a creativity standpoint to be able to, uh, to literally, you know, to start to develop, you know, mm-hmm. your uh, creative confidence, as we call it. So we said, okay, there's got to be a third place for our kids, just like adults have it. You know, we have these cool spaces that we go to, whether it's a coffee shop or a co-working space, <laughs> Whatever that might be for you, right. kids don't have that. You know, they got right. home and school. Uh, they needed that place. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, we said, you know, we have to surround our kids with nurturing a nurturing community. Mm-hmm. We've got to have these creative professionals who are doing this every single day to literally come in close uh, proximity with our kids. Uh, and we could only do that in this, in, in a space. Uh, uh, and so we hit the road, started to look for opportunities to um, to activate in a physical space. And luckily, we I pulled up on uh, Shiloh Institutional Baptist Church one day. Uh, I grew up in that church. Uh, it was over on the west side off of Betty's Fort Road, um, 
initially before they moved to uh, Camp Green neighborhood uh, in the 80s. And I pulled up and asked him, I said, we need a couple rooms because I was looking initially just to replicate the space that we had in our truck. Uh, and uh, I walked in and uh, literally had a they had a daycare that hadn't been used in about 20 years and it was shut off door was closed we opened it up and it was trashed wow. I mean it, yeah. it had a lot of it needed a lot of work but we mm-hmm. we sat there and said hey this is 5,000 square feet of space that we could activate uh, for the community on the west side yeah uh, uh, and we started the process of uh, you know raising the dollars and, and hoping to renovate that space mm-hmm. yeah and that's interesting what you say about the space because even beyond all the tech and the, and the creative resources which are super important and that's mm-hmm. sort of the backbone of this whole project but on a more broad level uh I, I hadn't made this connection reading the article but just when you just mentioning it um i was on Beatty's ford corridor with earl owens who's part of the alternatives to violence program over mm-hmm. there and he was just saying, just talking about, you know, you're opening this and that out here because of the opportunity corridor of opportunity, be it the Fifth Third Bank or this yeah. or that. Yeah. But he was like, but look around and tell me where the community center for the kids are like, yeah. to hang out. You know, there's a park here and there, and I'm never going to be one to speak against parks. Those are yeah. important, love, but there's yeah. also not really a curation of who they're looking up to when they're hanging out at those parks, as opposed to a community center where you have... Uh, uh, literal, like, you know, community leaders. Yeah, folks oh, absolutely. That they can... I mean, I, I think you're exactly right when we start looking, you know, in these neighborhoods. We say that, you know, some of the largest challenges that we face in our communities, I mean, we, you know, it's documented, and everybody knows that whole study around Charlotte, economic mobility, 50 out of 50, all mm-hmm. those type of things many, many years, you know, several years ago. And then I think recently, uh, same studies, studies talked about this whole idea around social capital that's important. So for us is that, okay, how can we look at that, activate in these under-resourced communities, and then create this model of social capital? We literally call it creative collisions. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this opportunity for us to take our programming, our space, uh, and, and intentionally create these collisions with our kids, with these professionals in the community. So, as, you know, so we operate our 8,000 square foot of, of space that we're activating as a co-working space during the day. Right. So what that does is it brings in these creative, uh, creative professionals inside our space, and we start to cultivate these relationships with them. And all of a sudden now they're asking about, okay, how can I be involved in working with your kids? Because I have this, I have this expertise around <laughs> podcasting, mm-hmm. around uh, architecture, around design, around you know, design thinking, strategy you know, healthcare innovation. How can we now start to work uh, with your kids that you're bringing in from two to three o'clock and having these classes? I want to help with that. Right. Uh, and so we intentionally build this space that's not only attractive for our youth who had a hand in designing it, but now adults want to want to hang out in it because it's got a coffee shop, it's cool, mm-hmm. it's got high-speed Wi-Fi, and now we can start to uh, uh, facilitate these creative coll- collisions. Right. And... Um I think that's an interesting model, not only for the creative collision sense of it, but also for your own organization to sort of introduce a sustainable model. Mm-hmm. We've seen so many stories lately about the uh, sort of uh, instability of arts funding, and uh, and you 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 all are certainly a creative mm-hmm. as well as a community a creative community. That's where the collisions come in um, organization, and I don't know if you necessarily would be getting funding from the same places as something like a theater company or whatnot would be, but it's a similar nonprofit situation yeah. mm-hmm. where 
you guys have sort of, I assume, through this co-working coffee shop model, figured out a way to, if not fully, then partially sustain yourself through that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we look at my, my background is with Apple. And so I spent many, many years in educational technology, uh, implementing and integrating that technology into uh, K-12 and higher education uh, systems, but I also spent some time in small business marketing and uh, enterprise as well. And so our idea around our model is uh, definitely self-sustaining and an earned revenue opportunity for us. And so we look at, you know, this whole idea, especially coming out of COVID, you start to see organizations and corporations start to look at their offices and or what architects call the built environment as destinations. Mm-hmm. So how do we create these destinations uh, in these communities and these corporations that entice our employees to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for us, it's the same thing. It's like, how do we create these spaces in these under-resourced communities as they are changing to entice people to come into our spaces? Right. Uh, and what it does for us, it, it creates this earned revenue model uh, for us that we can not only sustain ourselves in our, uh, you know, on the West side, but we can scale it and leverage it in other areas as well. Uh, and so that's what we look at. We look at our co-working model. We look at a full-service coffee shop in our space. Uh, we built and designed the space so it could be rented out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have professional organizations that are renting our space now, uh, and those dollars all go back into our programming as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, those, that is definitely intentional, as well as looking at uh, under-resourced spaces mm-hmm. and or underutilized spaces. Right, like you so said, you I mean, at, that space was sitting there. Yeah, it's, space is sitting there, churches – you know, obviously have tons of space uh, and they a lot of more affected out of COVID. So, you know, so what we say is, OK, we can come in, uh, reinvigorate the space. And not only that, but Shiloh uh, as a church sits in a very, very changing community. Mm-hmm. So in Camp Green, Ashley Park, Wilson Boulevard, Moorhead, if you know that area, that right. area is like crazy mm-hmm. uh, changing. All right on the uh, right on the front front end of gentrification. Well, you're right. Mm-hmm. And so we say, okay, if that's the case, then we've got these new community members moving in. And then we have our legacy community members there that are not interacting with each other. Right. Okay. So how do we create this environment now in our communities uh, that literally operate uh, as now as a, as a central hub to that community, just as churches have done in the past. Mm-hmm. But now we reinvigorate the activity uh, in the space, bringing younger uh, families that are activating out of our programs, young creatives that are coming uh, to work out of our program. And now the church can provide those services as well for the community. Right. And they become the center of that 10 minute neighborhood that the city's talking about. Right. So we hope to, you know, to play into all that area as well, to invigorate these communities that are changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that now our kids can come in and feel this sense of belonging because they see a space inside their own neighborhood that looks like an innovation lab built by Duke Energy right, or yeah, Ally super, Bank or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. And so they're saying, wait a minute, what, you know, this is just like I would see in corporate America, mm-hmm. but I can walk to it. Absolutely. Uh, and then I can, I can build these social connections with the, uh, uh, you know, with professionals that are here as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, just to, for folks listening who are here in church and church and Shiloh, uh, it's not a faith-based organization, Do Greater. Correct. No, we are. We are. Well, it depends on how you think right. about it. <laughs> we I mean, are inspired by it. <laughs> inspired, but not, yeah, yeah. It's you know we we are uh, separate five hundred one c three. We're not associated with uh, uh, any faith based organization. Gotcha, yeah. We just activate out of mm-hmm. out of spaces that uh, uh, that are underutilized. Mm-hmm. Now I'll, I'll I'll tell you where the name come from uh, later, but uh, uh, we do. We, we're not associated with any mm-hmm. within the church. 
And you yourself, as you mentioned a couple of times, have grown up in in that or in West Charlotte. Where yeah. where exactly were you around? Oh, you were not in many places. Okay. I mean, I started off on. Uh, 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 interestingly enough, I started off on uh, Belvedere Homes, mm-hmm. uh, which is right off Ross's Ferry Road, which at the time uh, was. Uh, 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 Kind of a, a project, uh, uh, what we used to call projects at the time back in uh, off Rosasphere Road, and we lived there, uh, and uh, spent two or three years there as, as my family. My mom, who uh, was single at the time, four kids, we started uh, her uh, her uh, uh, venture right there uh, on that side, and then we moved from there to Revolution Park, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, right off of. Uh, you know, Remount and and Brentwood and all and West Boulevard. I mean, mm-hmm. I could literally walk right. for, walk for to West Boulevard, and so we're activating in our space uh, in that community right now with our new space. But uh, most of my formative years uh, was in Clinton Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we moved from Revolution to Clinton Park, right off Clinton Road and uh, and uh, seventy seven, and what's now becoming Loso, which mm-hmm. right. bothers yeah. me a little that's, bit. But yeah. that's a whole nother tell. I think yeah, that and Lower Tuck, I just hear and I'm. Yeah, Lower Tuck and yeah. Loso and those areas, and so, but you know, those are our neighborhoods that we grew up in, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, I love the West Side. I grew up there, and uh, interestingly enough, we were. Uh, lived there, but went to school on the south side. Went to school at Carmen South Bay because we were bused to those mm-hmm. areas. And that's why I was sort of asking. I didn't mean to like uh, make you check your street cred or anything <laughs> like, to make yeah, you name yeah, your neighborhoods. Yeah. But I was asking because I did find that that story uh, interesting in the fact of how busing sort of helped you uh, experience something that a lot of folks don't get to experience in under-resourced schools. And you went to South Mac, and I had a similar experience sort of on the opposite end of that spectrum in the sense that I was grew up in North Charlotte, and uh, uh, before they flipped the before they sort of went back to segregating CMS and uh, grew up in sort of a suburban upper middle class neighborhood in North Charlotte and went to JT Williams Mm -hmm. where I got a much better feel for diversity and and made friends who are of all sort of different socioeconomic status. And I think that really affected the the future of my life and the way I look at people. And you spoke in the story a little bit about going to South Mech. Tell me about your experience there and how you got sort of started to get engaged in all the programming. There. Yeah, I mean, I think when we, you know, were, were bused from Clinton Park to South Mac, Carmel and South Mac initially, I think, you know, it kind of opened our eyes as it uh, relates to the types of things that we were missing out of. I mean, I think we, we never really got out of the community as much. And once we started to kind of head over on the south side of town, we started to see things a little differently. We started to see opportunities that other kids were getting that we didn't have. We started to see things that... Um, that we never were exposed to different careers, different, uh, different people doing different things, uh, even the entire environment, uh, you know, with, with stores on every corner. And we were like, wait a minute, this is different from where we come from. Right. Uh, but I think what our mom and I, uh, you know, did uh, intentionally was, okay, you are going to, you are going into an area that's foreign to you. Uh, but what I want you to do is, is to go with an open mind and take advantage of every opportunity that's presented to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got there and we started to kind of, you know, learn the lay of the land and, and uh, started to get involved in, uh, in you know, leadership opportunities that would come, uh, come across our plate, whether that's uh, sports or uh, my brothers in RTC, me in music and band and, and, and uh, leadership and, lead, you know, student council and things like that. So we start to experience these things that, uh, that 
literally are normal in other schools, but we were just now becoming uh, aware of the type of type of opportunities that we could take advantage of. And so it opened our eyes. And I think the one thing it really taught us was, you know, we started gaining this confidence that we could compete. It was like, we're just as good as anybody else, Absolutely. even though, you know, our background, we haven't been exposed to this. But once we are exposed, we start to take it, you know, we, we learned very quickly, adapted very quickly and started to, you know, move up in the leadership, these leadership roles. And so from there, all of my siblings, all four of us, you know, even mid 80s started to go to Carolina and stayed in East Carolina, started to attend these colleges that, you know, really was kind of unusual for somebody coming out of, uh, uh, you know, with the background that we had, you know, food stamps and poor and these type of things. And so I think we took advantage of those opportunities, learned from it, uh, and that turned into kind of the catalyst of what we do today. Right. Because we see, we know and see how the, you know, access and exposure to kids who have this potential can turn out. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we see the little, you know, William McNeely's that we run into every single day that, <laughs> you know, that, hey, that kid, you know, has a tremendous amount of our, uh, potential, but he's just not in the right environment. Right. Uh, and not only that, we start to look at, you know, another <laughs> lesson that I actually uh, learned was I was pretty good in math when I was in high school. And so I was pigeonholed to go into engineering. Uh, And, but I, you know, I am not an engineer. I'm far from (laughs) it. This whole creative bent of mine just, you know, wants to ooze out. Uh, And uh, yeah, it was like, no, don't do that. (laughs) Uh, And I was labeled early in my career as a troublemaker. It was labeled, you know, in fifth and sixth grade as a troublemaker, trouble kid. And my mom would go in and say, what is the problem? You know, (laughs) they said, well, William is just disruptive. And she really got down to the to the to the to the root of it was that I would finish all of my work so quickly because mm-hmm. uh, I was bored. I would just do it, and I then the I same, would just same then, situation. Yeah, then I would just mm-hmm. ramsack the class because right. I had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like give him more stuff, give him more things to do, enhance it. You know, give him give him an outlet for his creativity. And once that started to happen, then I started to you know to blossom from that perspective. So we right. hope to try, provide that same opportunity for kids mm-hmm. that are out there today. And you mentioned when you were sort of running through some of the programming that you and your siblings were attracted to, you mentioned how you had a pull towards music. Yeah. Is that, has that always been a lifetime interest of yours? It has. I started I know early. it plays a big part in the programming you guys yeah, now offer. Yeah, it, it, it's, I'm a closeted uh, music producer, but, uh, producer, all that kind of stuff yeah. that I can't do well, but right. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah, I, early, early love for music, uh, particularly jazz. I played trumpet in high school, drum major, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and actually was going to go to college uh, as a music uh, major until I was convinced to go into engineering, which was wrong. Right. <laughs> but Man, uh, I had a college roommate who uh, was in engineering, getting his engineering degree while I was getting my English degree. And I would look, he would have like homework that was just two problems that he had to solve by the end of the, by the next three days. Yeah. <laughs> and it would take, it would just be pages and pages yeah. of solving this problem. Yeah. It's not anything I could even look at. No, no, that's just not me. I agree as well. But yeah, we, we incorporate music into a lot of uh, things that we do um, uh, because I think it's also, it adds this, this, you know, this uh, uniqueness and this uh, uh, well-roundedness to kids if they understand and learn and, uh, you know, and it enhances your creativity as well. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we love to provide that as an opportunity for our kids too. Do you love podcasts? You're listening to one right now, so we're going to say you do. You know what makes podcast listening better? A really great set of earbuds nestled snugly into your appropriate head holes. 
you could win a really great set of earbuds courtesy of the Queen City Podcast Network. A set of Bose noise-canceling quiet comfort earbuds, a $200 value, could be all yours. And all you have to do is sign up to receive the Queen City Podcast Network email newsletter at queencitypodcastnetwork.com between now and April 16th, 2023. You heard me. Sign up to receive a twice-weekly email about all the latest Queen City Podcast Network releases. And you're entered in a drawing where you could win the earbuds of a lifetime. The rules are published at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. That's also where you sign up for the drawing. queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Your ticket to great listening with a great set of earbuds. talk a little bit about that what you guys do offer because going through the site and um just looking at some of the programming you guys offer it's just it stands out as being really i mean <laughs> creative i guess would be a, w- a way to say it uh and for folks looking for it it is it's spelled crtv lab all caps it's pronounced creative yeah um now tell people a little bit about how they get engaged what sort of workshops you offer is there season-long classes is there just one-off workshops how Instead of folks just hearing about it and be like, do I just show up? What what sort of things do y'all offer uh, for kids to get engaged? Yeah, you actually can just show up. We'll put you to work. Okay. <laughs> we do. Uh, you know, we, we, we approach this process through uh, to the what we call the lens of what kids love. So we talk to them about things of what should happen in our space. Uh, we could create these programs that uh, we think our kids want, uh, but we want to talk to them around uh, the things that interest them, because we we've seen the, these these organizations come and go over the years. I mean, I, some of the challenges that we're dealing with right now, I dealt with when I was in high school and middle school. So they're not some of them are not new. So we want to take a different approach and talk to kids. It's like, what is it that you want? And so we start to we start to do things through the lens of uh, of the things they love. So it's fashion, media, sports, all the things that you know, shoe design, you know, music production, video production, all the things that these kids gravitate to anyway. We start to offer those those uh, opportunities in our spaces to get them in to start this whole idea around building their creative confidence. So it's like, oh, we're going to have the art of DJing class. Right. So you know how many kids signed up for that? Right. We can only Absolutely. do 15, right you know, 15 kids. It's like, I mean, I mean, well, how many adults wanted to do it? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm in. So, yeah. So I'm sitting back. So we're, 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 we've got these kids in this art of DJing class. So the first three weeks, they're learning DJing. They're learning scratch. They're learning all this. Real you know, DJing. Re- not, the, real not, DJing. The, not the folks who now get hired at parties and press buttons. No, no, no. I can do that. No, <laughs> right. these are real. These are middle schoolers that are becoming real DJs. Right. Uh, but then all of a sudden they start talking about, okay, let's build the business. What does it look like to start an LLC? What does it look like to, to understand your accounting, your finance, your branding, your marketing, all of this around your DJ business? Such an important part. That yeah. So now they're, they're ever. exactly. So they're building this on they're building this process that they can replicate. Not only if they want to go out and be a DJ, but they can replicate in other areas as well. Starting businesses themselves, or even this whole uh, you know process of thinking through a problem from you know identifying the problem, understanding the problem, you know empathy and understanding who your users are, and testing and all of this, and and iterating and going back and starting again. So this entire process that we're teaching through the lens of these 
classes, the art of DJing, uh, the ent- our entrepreneurial cohort, our beat making class that we have coming oh, up. Right. Uh, you I know, uh, uh, yeah, and not only that, but then you know our game of codes that we partnered with organizations to teach coding, uh, uh, creating games. So all of these, all of these uh, strategies that we use with our partners is developing classes and cohorts and workshops and summer camps that are appealed to our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we look at our partners who have uh, specific skill sets and then design classes from their skills. Mm-hmm. So we'll work with organizations, strategy and design strategy organizations to put on what we call our design-a-thon. Full weekend session where we take a, a challenge in the community and we bring in strategists, we bring in U.S. Uh, UX and UI designers, uh, design thinkers, small business entrepreneurs to work with our kids to solve this problem over a three-day period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this entire process, they're learning this, again, this this, this uh, design thinking methodology to solve problems. Uh doesn't necessarily matter exactly what that problem is because we can change that, but it's this entire process that we go through. Uh, and so there's a lot of different types of classes. If you have a skill uh, in uh, not only in, in you know leadership, leadership development, creativity, design, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, small business, any of those things, we can come up and create these classes that our kids can now come in and take and then learn this process. Right, absolutely. And it just struck me that I sort of skipped over this chronologically, but since I teased it at the beginning, I'd be <laughs> remiss not to mention it. Uh, an experience that you had in 2019, I believe, where yeah. you faced a very scary diagnosis that almost sort of brought this whole project to a to a halt. Um, uh, I'm not going to go with the what was the name of the di- I'm not going to try the <laughs> yeah, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. There you go. Um, and this this resulted in you needing an emergency, very short term lung transplant. Yeah, yeah. Short term, I mean, like you needed it quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's you know, 2015. I really uh, was just like everybody else working in corporate America, doing great things, I thought, in the community, uh, and then became sick. Um, ended up 2016 being diagnosed oh, with so uh, fibrosis. Okay, yes, yeah, this gotcha. earlier. Been diagnosed with fibrosis. And so it kind of <laughs> obviously knocked me off my uh, career path. But uh, for the next three years, I carried oxygen uh, t- oxygen tank around 24-7. Mm-hmm. So 2016, I'm sitting there and I've got this fibrosis and fibrosis is a terminal disease. And so we're thinking at that point, well, how long do I have? Uh, and uh, we knew at some point that the, the uh, you know, it actually went up and down. I got a little bit better during the time. But then 2019 was when it kind of fell off the cliff, which we knew at some point it would come. Mm-hmm. Uh, just didn't think it was come, would come then. Uh, right. And so 2019, I had this diagnosis of, hey, this is it. Your lungs are failing uh, and you only have a short amount of time to go. Uh, so this was March 20, and it's ironic that we're almost sitting at uh, the four-year anniversary of that lung transplant. So we uh, back in that March, I was told, sat in front of a doctor, and he said, you've got two weeks to live. Uh, and if we don't transplant you uh, very quickly, uh, you won't be here. Right. Uh, and so that was on a Thursday night. He told me that, and we, we talked about it. And I remember very vividly that I sat there and I looked at the doctor, which was kind of surprising to him was, I said, okay. You told me I have two weeks, so it's not that I have two weeks to live. I have two weeks for you to figure out how to right. how to get mm-hmm. how to make this happen. So, because my whole what does ideas that list are, look like at that point or now? Because I know I've had a friend, Cat, who mm-hmm. just recently got a lung transplant, but she waited a good while. I don't think she was in this as life or death in a short term situation as you were. So, does that list work? As in, like, yeah, is the, it, the, was it realistic when you got that news that you? 
No, not really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 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 there are many many people that uh, probably was as dire as I was mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, but I think there's a couple of things uh, that, uh, you know, I do believe that I was given a second chance for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I can remember as I was going up to, you know, they call me EOL, mm-hmm. which in, you know, I worked at Apple and technology. I know what EOL means. Mm-hmm. That's end of end life. Of life right? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and they say he's EOL. Uh, and uh, so in my mind is that, OK, I'm going I'm going to get through this. I did. Make, I was from a positivity standpoint, I did think that I would get through. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally planning for do greater Charlotte post long transplant. So I know I'm dying, right. but I have the plans have for the organization mm-hmm. ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so as I was being wheeled back into uh, the operating room, uh, you know, it took me two days, Thursday, they told me I was at two weeks. And by Saturday, they called me in for a transplant. Mm-hmm. And so I get there and uh, I'm getting prepped uh, and I'm literally still writing the vision for the organization because I know in 15 hours after I come out of this uh, transplant, I'm going to be ready to go. Right. Uh, and so I think the challenge there is, you know, uh, or the um, the way uh, I dealt with that obstacle was to look ahead and look past the obstacle and look at what the future held for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 15 hours later, I'm coming out and I'm breathing on my own uh Lungs worked. The surgery itself was 15 hours? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I come out and, you know, doctors telling me, yeah, we had these lungs. We didn't know they were going to fit you, so we had to shave them down. It was mm-hmm. all this kind of scenario that I'm going through. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I definitely I'm need to be here. glad I wasn't here. there for that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there coming out and he's telling me all these things. And I'm, you know, sitting there thinking, okay, I've got to go. And so in three weeks, I'm out of the uh, I'm out of ICU. A couple more weeks, I'm you know out of the hospital. I'm in rehab. Three more weeks in rehab. I mean, by Memorial Day that that year, uh, six seven weeks later, I'm out back in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And that Friday, I'm back out raising money for Do Greater Charlotte, which was kind of crazy. Wow. And my doctor was like, "Are you Amazing. sure you want to do that?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so six, seven weeks, I'm back out on the street, and I know that uh, this is what uh, literally I've been called to do. Mm-hmm. So, and that was when you launched the the mobile. That's when we start launching the mm-hmm. mobile. We start raising raising money for the mobile technology lab. Got that rolling. Uh, and then uh, the rest went on from there. Right. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Just the way that you were looking at it, because I was going to say you seem you seem like you were already a driven human from <laughs> childhood to adulthood in the corporate world, and so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't assume or guess that this uh, diagnosis and the struggle uh, really made you more motivated as much as it was. I don't know. It, it it convinced you that you were you were here for a reason. I guess you'd say. Yeah, I mean, do greater when you know was, you think about it. I look at my life and I, I I think of the things that you know corporately and financially and family and all those things that everybody wishes for. I mean, I get that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I you know always been involved in community work on a board of directors of nonprofit organizations before all this. And and but when I when when you stare death in the face, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Right. You know, it's like, well, I, what does it mean? I mean, I'm if I'm gone in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to forget, mm-hmm. you know, okay. And so I'm sitting there thinking if I get a second chance, what, it, what is it that I want to leave as a legacy? Not everybody else, mm-hmm. but what is that that I want to do? And I started to think about the things that, uh, that helped me to get to where I am today. And that was this whole, you know, opportunity around this access and exposure. So I said, I need to duplicate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where all my energies went to as I was struggling. So you struggle, you know, I think you you go through these struggles 
Uh, but you don't, you know, it's not like I didn't concentrate on those struggles every single day, even though I was in it every day. Right. I looked past it to what I thought was my, what they call my preferred future. You know, I looked past what that, you know, what my vision would encompass past the challenges. Mm-hmm. And if that's not motivating, I don't know what it is. That's a <laughs> great way to wrap it up. But I did want to ask you real quick. I don't want to put you on the spot because I haven't seen this publicly spoken anywhere, but I have heard rumors not from you, but from other folks. Do you have location? Do you have expansion goals, plans for the I coming? I need to year? ask you. You heard that from? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, our our entire uh, model has been built from day one to expand in all of the under resourced communities in Charlotte. I mean, we are now calling them quarters of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pre quarters. I mean, I grew up in Charlotte. I know what these areas are. Right, so yeah. it's always our uh, idea as we were determining what the model would be to do that. And so, yeah, we we are, you know, we want to we want to perfect where we are on Wilkinson at this point with the uh, Shiloh location. But we are um, we we know the need is dire when you start looking at some of the statistics that are out there around unemployment, uh, poverty in some of these areas, and the lack of upward mobility if you live in some of these zip codes. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we are there providing these the services and this uh, this third place, as we call it, to enhance their creative confidence. So yeah, we we are looking. Uh, you know, for additional locations in our quarters and anybody out there with great locations that we activate out of, let us know. That's awesome. All right, anything else? Uh, where can where can folks find you and in, in sort of see about getting engaged? Yeah, you can find us at dogreater.org. You can uh, send an email through that. That actually will come directly to me. Uh, and so I'll get a chance to read it and, and send it to the appropriate uh, uh, person. But we're also looking for volunteers, sponsors. I mean, we're growing, growing rapidly, but as a young emerging nonprofit, you know, as you grow rapidly, you also have to deal with capacity issues growing uh, and pains. being growing pains and being able to support the uh, demand that you have. And so we're at that point now with a cool space and everybody wants to activate out of it, but we need to grow our staff and grow our capacity. So we're looking for an additional, uh, I call it an investment in our uh, organization to allow us to reach more uh, kids. Absolutely. Well, Coach Mac, where'd the nickname come from? Were you coaching uh, I, youth I, athletics? I, I did. I coached uh, football at okay. uh, South Mac, and so that's where the name. Nice. Uh, well, I've coached youth football and high school football. And oh, so, gotcha. So it's, it's, it's stuck for a number of years. Awesome, Coach. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here, and uh, everybody go check out the work they're doing because it's really amazing stuff. Um, and I'm sure I'll see you at one of those events coming up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you at the next one. Cheers. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.